we're people. We're people just like everybody else. We've chosen this career, first responding, whether it's fire, whether it's EMS, whether it's police. We've chosen this career because in the end, we want to provide service and help to people. For me, I can handle and I know I can personally handle a lot. I can handle those those horrible calls fairly well. But I also know that I have to self-check regularly. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of courageous individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. Uh, hey, well, uh, welcome from Darkness to Life. It is a Our Collective Journey podcast. It's uh, been a while. My name is Poncho. Rick, nice to see you again. Damien, welcome back. Didn't even recognize you. You got the new do. Yeah, uh, looking fast, looking fresh for summer. Hot girl summer, I think, is what the, Ooh, the just, hashtag is. Does that mean Built for speed now. Yeah. <laughs> does that mean you're back on TikTok? Or are you still banned? Uh, no, I've only had the one talk band uh, for uh, not meeting the community guideline standards. However, uh, it's, in, our, it's in dispute. And our guest is up shaking his head. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Stephen, welcome from Darkness to Life. Hey, thanks for having me. You, you, you and I know each other kind of, sort of, from years ago, but this is a first for me. I have absolutely no idea uh, what we're going to get into today. So maybe you can tell us, what are we going to get into today? Uh, we're going to talk about mental health aspects from a first responders point. See, I didn't even know that's, that's what you do. And not only are you a frontline worker, an essential worker, probably one of the most stressful careers. It's, uh, it's taken its toll, right? But uh, it's one day at a time. What, what made you get into it? Uh, so I am a uh, paramedic here and uh, I got into it uh, just because, honestly, it's you get into it because you want to help people. That's the whole role of it is you want to help people in the end. And is it exactly what you thought it would be? No. No, it's way different. It's different than any TV series, any movie, anything kind of shows you. It's Physically, emotionally, mentally, so far, what's what's been the biggest challenge for you as an EMT? Uh, it, it would probably be uh, the mental health aspect is a big one of that and the growth and... Uh, growth behind that really it's growing up that's the whole thing is being able to to grow up and uh, stay strong and continue this job because there are a lot of us but not everybody can do it right so, so you know and, and i think for a lot of us when you when you think of of what you do as a, as a first responder you think of a lot of physical injuries and of course i imagine that's a big part of it as well but i imagine another big part of it is that you have to deal with a lot of emotional and mental calls and have you seen an influx of that over the last 20 months um Call volume wise, yeah, yeah, it uh, it has increased definitely. Uh, we have been going to all number of different varieties of calls, varieties of calls like that. So um, I wouldn't say that it's our number one call volume, kind of like that, but it is. It's up there. Is that something that surprised you when you started down this career path? Yeah, honestly, uh, the whole mental health aspect aspect behind it all. Uh, was uh, kind of challenging to understand. 
Uh, I started really young. Like I was 19 years old when I started working on an ambulance. And uh, I was in it for the blood, guts, and gory, right? Like you go in it to, you want to get the accidents, you want to help the people, you want to save all, anybody that you can, right? Because that's what you kind of understand what the job is. An ambulance shows up because someone's injured or they're ill. Uh, but when you start going to these calls where there's no physical illness or injury, and now you have to help this person on a completely different level, yeah. you, you have to kind of start understanding other people in that manner and what they might be going through, which is not easy when you're young, right? Uh, the older you get, you get more experience, go through your own issues, you understand more things, right? The, the but, fact that you, you wanted to know what you wanted to do with your life since the age of 19. Wow. I, I mean, that's an accomplishment in its own right. It was a fluke, man. Like that, how I fell into this. It was just one of those things where it's like, I decided that I wanted to do some form of, uh, like first response, uh, um, some type of service. It was going to be like fire. It was going to be police or it was going to be EMS. Oh. And, uh, uh, I did a ride along with EMS and I loved it. And, and that was it. That was, that was it. Now I know I've seen your, I've seen your face quite a few times at the ER actually Probably. over the years. Yeah. yeah. I've been there for, I busted coccyxes and hurt pancreases. And, yeah. You know, the very serious, oh, yeah. the very serious injuries. Yeah. You see us. <laughs> so, a part of our OCJ podcast is we always like to hear how you're doing, how our guests are doing. So how are you really? How are you feeling today? Are, are you anxious here? Are you excited to talk about what you want to talk about? I am I am excited to talk about it. I am not going to lie. I'm tired. I literally just came off a night shift at 6 a.m. this morning. So, How do you unwind after doing that? Um, honestly, I have my rituals. It's like... Get off shift, shower, get home, and just sit there and Unwind. think. Think about it. Think you, about what you get to. And do you find that that helps your mental health? Yeah. Uh, following a routine, kind of thing like that, really helps with the mental health. Uh, and just taking time to sit and think and take in the the previous shift or the previous tour or the last couple of days, whatever, what you've been through, and just let it ride the, whatever emotion you're going through and just let it be. It does, it does help for so, me. So Damien, Rick, I want to ask you that as, as well. Uh, do you guys unwind? I mean, you both work incredibly stressful jobs as well. Do you find that you need to get that downtime to ensure that your, your mental health is well healthy? I know for me, you know, I, I, I go away to work for large stretches of time. So very early in my relationship with my wife, we had to set some boundaries where, you know, 72 hours after I came back from hmm. being away for work, we couldn't talk about anything that was of significance or substance or needed to have action taken on it right away because I just wasn't mentally prepared or able because my job is one where I'm in the red for, you know, 28 days straight. And when I come back, I need to, I just need to be. That's a, a, a really, really, really good point. So we're not necessarily talking a, a couple of hours, but in this case, a couple of days before you can reset, recenter, refocus, and deal with what's next on your plate, I guess. Yeah, I think the best way to put it would be kind of like uh, using the words calming my waters, you know, okay. like making sure that what I had experienced at work wasn't brought through the front door of my house. You know what I mean? So I had to, I had to go through a process. Um, me and my wife had a 
<laughs> some pretty big blow-ups to figure out that this was the window that we needed so that I could uh, be the man that she deserved, right? I, it never really hit me in, until right now. I don't know how many times I'll, I'll come home and I'll kind of snap on my partner just because she wants to talk about something as simple as, say, replacing the hot water tank. But until I have that downtime, I guess, to relax, it seems like the biggest problem in the world. And it's not. And it's not at all. I think that's something that I need to try a little bit harder with. Uh, Rick, you have a very stressful job as well. How Do you find that that alone time, that downtime helps your mental health? I think my biggest thing, and my, I'm sure my wife and kids will support this, is when I'm at work for my, my shift, I, I'm usually getting pulled in 20 different directions. Yeah. And, uh, my biggest thing is I don't eat. <laughs> I come home hungry and when I'm hungry, I don't even notice how short I am. Right. I am like the definition of the hangry guy. Right. And it does. Hangry does exist. Oh, so badly for me. Right. So I'll come home at work from work at four o'clock and, you know, supper is until five thirty or six and. And I, and so in my head, I'm like, well, why would I eat now? Because I got to wait till, you know, I'm having supper in two hours. I don't want to, you know, brought up like a good kid. I don't want to ruin my meal. Right. And, uh, and I'll be really short with people and then they'll point out to me, maybe you should eat something and like, that'll just piss me off even more. Cause I'm already in this weird mindset. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah, exactly. Right? I know I'm not I'm hungry. hungry. I know when I'm hungry. <laughs> Straight up like the Snickers commercial. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly what it is. The Joe right? Pesci thing. For yeah. sure. Yeah. So for I think sure that that's my biggest thing is um, I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing and, and lucky for me, my wife also works in the same industries I do. So she understands. So she understands. And we get to, you know, we do get to, when we do have our like debrief, we can on a peer level debrief with each other. So, you know, I can support her with some of the things she's experiencing and she can support me with some of the things I'm experiencing. Um, so that's good. I, my biggest thing that I got to be conscious of is my food consumption. And I, I know we talk about, we, we don't think how important food is to our mental health, but it is incredibly Important, isn't it? You need to eat and you need to eat healthy and it does have an outcome on your mental health. I mean, think about it when we've all been teenagers or down in the dumps and we eat nothing but cheesies and sucking back jolt. Do they still make jolt cola yeah, by the way? Do. Yeah. Do they? They do. Holy, that crap is dangerous stuff, <laughs> right? I mean, the food you put in often represents your personality. And if you're eating junk food, I, I do find that it kind of messes with your routine and your mental health and your ability to think. As an EMT, Stephen, I mean, you must find it very difficult to eat at points. Do yeah, you, do a lot you of get cold angry? meals. A yeah. lot of cold meals. Yeah. Uh, it's not uncommon, like, if you do get to a microwave and you got that meal and it's heated up and you made it and you're like, yeah, this is this is going to be great. And then your tones go and you're like, this is going back in the fridge or <laughs> please tell me you have yeah. a microwave in your ambulance. No, not in that. We have an office. We get to swim. Yeah. Oh, by. okay. All right. Yeah. You ever do the pizza pop on the defrost? Uh, no, I've thought about it. I have, I have thought about heating up on the hood before, but <laughs> right. You help yeah. it up, pop the hood. Yeah. yeah. It's, a... it's been there in my head, but I mean, I've eaten a lot of cold meals in my day. So, so what brings you in here today? Is it to talk about the mental health of others, uh, specifically yours and how it's affected you? So it's kind of a unique, uh, relationship. So I grew up with Steven's sister in Brooks, Alberta, yep. um, all throughout grade school. 
have known, you know, the Philpot family, you know, my entire life. Um, six years ago, um, when my wife and I were looking for wedding photographers, we talked to Stephen's wife, Shay, who turned out to be this, the most genuine, caring, authentic, beautiful human being that uh, we had met to that point. I love it. And Stephen is nodding his head in agreement. Yeah. She's so cool. So, um, you know, her, her and Steven were at our wedding, kind of, you know, f- capturing that beautiful day for us. Um, Shay's been in our lives, you know, since that moment. And when our collective journey kind of got going, we went to do some headshots for some, some stuff that, uh, I guess you need headshots for. My, my vote was like those eighties glam photos, but yeah. it worked out <laughs> a little more professional. And so Shay, you know, said that she would do them. And, and in doing so, we went over to their house and we're just kind of talking to Steven and knowing that he's a first responder and with all the stuff that had transpired and continues to transpire in our city with the overdose deaths, the, you know, the death by suicide, the, you know, just the crisis that we've experienced, we're sort of talking to Stephen about like, what is his experience with this? What has he seen that's changed or shifted and thought, you know, when there's an opportunity, I'd love to hear your perspective on what it's like to be a first responder, number one, in a pandemic. And number two, what is it like to be a first responder in Medicine Hat during a pandemic and also experiencing firsthand all this loss, right? Um, so yeah, we invited Stephen to to come today just to to share his experience personal experience you know what it's like for emts firefighters police officers in our community and then you know maybe uh, break that stigma down that i'm sure first responders have with regards to asking for help just like every other you know demographic of uh society. You listed a lot of heavy points right there that have a lot to do with emotional stress and and mental health. And has your mental health, say, deteriorated over the years? Did you think you were fine? Are you not fine now? Are you getting so many questions to ask you, Steve? Um, Well, I can kind of sum it down to pretty basic. Like I can tell you that I, I have PTSD, right? Have you always? No. Um, I was more, I would say recently diagnosed in the past kind of two years, uh, with it, uh, when I actually started seeking help and talking and going to therapy and things like that. What was the first sign? Was it you who knew something? Was, was it a family member it, that pointed something out? It, it was, uh, it was always kind of understood. Like maybe it was there kind of thing like that, uh, for a long standpoint, but, uh, mood plays a factor into it and your loved ones, they're the first ones that notice your mood, right? You don't notice your mood. Your mood is your mood. You live with it every day. Yeah. So it's just a varying degree of whatever you're feeling, right? Yeah. Whether and- it's amped up or if it's super mellow. But uh, when family members start noticing it and they start kind of pointing it out, you really want to pay attention to that. And it, it like Damon was saying, you have some blowups with your loved one, right? You pay attention to that. And uh, I think that's what got me really looking at what's up with me. And uh, I finally just reached out and said, hey, you know what? I need help. How did you reach out? Who did you reach out to? I, uh, so I did it personally myself. I went and uh, just did some research on who is in Medicine Hat to talk to, what kind of therapies available, who, what kind of groups are out there. And I ended up landing and talking with a therapist and we kind of just hit it off from there. And it was more about finding someone comfortable to talk to. And and that's something that we've talked about here on our podcast before is that 
just because you find somebody to talk to, it might not necessarily be your fit. And mm-hmm. it's incredibly important that you can find somebody that you are comfortable mm-hmm. uh, speaking with. And, you know, looking around this room, and we all have our own mental health issues, you wouldn't know it. And I think that's a, a huge problem with mental health. It's that a lot of times it's invisible until it's too late. Before you were diagnosed, how long do you think you had been dealing with PTSD? Um, it's hard to gauge, right? It's uh, I would say mine's a slow variety. I I didn't have a breaking point, kind of thing like that. There was no like single call where it's just like, oh, that's where I went, kind of thing like that. Uh, it was death by a thousand knives or cuts, right? That kind of a thing. So um, I've been dealing with. Uh, a lot of, uh, I would say like quirks myself, but, uh, can you give us an example? Uh, like, honestly, I can, I can say mood wise, I'm an angry person just, just off the beaten path. Angry. I, my first emotion is anger. My first, I don't get sad. I don't get upset. I don't anything outside of that. If something's wrong, I go to anger. Uh, and so I've been like that all my life, but when I'm directing that anger at someone, that's kind of when I started paying attention to it. Right. So probably, probably a couple of years, even before I met my wife. So that would have been probably like 2010, like that's almost three, only three years into my four years into my career as a paramedic. Yeah. Cause you're a young man. Yeah, I guess I guess you could say that I am. Yeah. Well, relatively speaking, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's. I don't. I mean, I don't feel like that, but. <laughs> and that's pretty profound for you know for me to hear from you, Stephen, because my experience of you isn't that at all. Yep. You know, and it really goes to show how those programs that we have that you know our character defects or character traits, whatever you want to call them, it's not really what's always at the forefront that other people see. You know, I I see in this like confident, self assured you know, calm man, you know, from my experience of, of being yeah. around you, but then you're just like me. Like I, that anger rage, that's yep. for me, that's maybe it's growing up in Brooks. I don't know the yeah, smell of shit or whatever it is, but <laughs> I've been, I've been that same guy yeah. for a long time. And, um, yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's a big part of it too. Right. I, I mean, on the outside looking in that old adage, we're like a duck, right? On the surface, we're all calm, cool, and collected. But underneath the water, man, those little feats of ours are just paddling like mad mm-hmm. and doing what you do, Stephen. I mean, where you have to put the health and the care ahead of you. I mean, every single time, that's got to be one of your priorities. Did it ever occur to you that, you know, before I can help others, I need to help myself first? You know, like... In school, learning about this stuff, we touched on stressors. Uh, we talked about uh, health. We talked about mental health. Uh, it wasn't as in-depth as it is would be today with some of the education towards uh, first responders and stuff like that, but it was touched on. So you did know about that kind of stuff. You got to take care of yourself before you can take care of others, kind of thing like that, that old adage. Um, but until you're in the thick of it, until you're experiencing it, until you're on car doing this kind of stuff, it doesn't really settle in, right? Until you have a bad day, like you personally have a bad day and you actually see that it could affect somebody else. Even if it's as simple as you happen to be rude to someone, 
and that affected them, right? Yeah. And then you sit and you think about it and you're like, shit, what did I just do? Because you know that's not who you are as a yeah. person. You're in this because you want to help. Yeah. How are you helping anybody by being rude to them, right? Or worse or whatever it is, right? So so when it does get pointed out, I mean, and listening, that's you know, that's a huge part of your job as well, right? I mean, let's say you get sent out on a call and, and somebody's having a breakdown or suicidal. What's one of the first things, you know, you, you tell your patients? How do you calm them down? I don't try and calm them down. I let them experience what they're experiencing. Okay. I'm just there to listen and provide support and make sure that they're safe. That's the biggest thing is make sure everybody is safe and then be there for them. It's, it's their emergency. It's, you're not trying to control the storm outside of, unless it's going to endanger them or anybody else. Okay. So let their feelings be, let them experience what it is that they're experiencing. And some people are on a, a profoundly different level of emotion that it's so wild that you have to control it. Sometimes you might have to do something to help rein them in. Right. Uh, but a lot of people, it's just letting them experience it and then being there. How do you separate, how do you, how do you, how do you separate your professionalism from, from your feelings when, when you're seeing these people suffer? Uh, it takes a lot of practice. It's a practice practice. Yeah. It's like anything you don't, just do it. You don't learn it and then apply it. Right. It's, uh, each person's different. You're different. Each approach is different every time. So I could teach you how to talk to someone. Right. And you could learn, you know, in the interview process, you have, well, like, this is how you interview someone, you learn how to interview someone. But when you actually get into interviewing someone, you roll off the side. Sometimes it goes sideways, but you're like, well, I followed the blueprint. Yeah. Right. So it's the same thing with talking to anybody, right? It's the same thing. A lot of our, a lot of our job is so much interpersonal conversation, right? And just understanding what's going on, um, that it just takes the practice and listening. Yeah, that that's a huge. And you think it's easy to listen, but it's not. Yeah. Like anything, listening is a learned skill. And personal, at least in, in my experience, when you do talk to somebody that's going through a really hard time, they just want an ear. You know, they, they just want to be heard as opposed to, you know, seeking help, but then getting pushed through that door and this door and talk to this person. And ultimately you just get frustrated in anger and, and you're back to, you know, square one. Um, well, and, and just to kind of expand upon that a little bit, like kind of what I heard is when you're in a professional role and you're helping somebody that's in crisis or having their emergency, like you said, Stephen, you're there just to not add chaos to the situation, but let them experience it. But how do, how do first responders deal with that compartmentalized emotion that they could possibly feel in certain calls where, you know, you're dealing with some pretty heavy shit sometimes and you're having to be that steady rock in spite of whatever's going on. So like when you guys pull away from that situation and you, you wound down and that comes back, what resources do you have? How do how do you deal with it? How do how have you seen other first responders deal with it? Yeah, um, so it comes down to being having almost like for me this is this is my perspective. This is how I've kind of like justified it and like broken it down in my mind. There's there's like two Steves, right? There's there's me, and then there's paramedic Steve, right? And so when I'm the professional on the call, I know that 
my level of care and the level of professionalism I have to bring, I maintain that to the best of my ability. Yeah, there's a lot of outside factors and I'm not always perfect. That's just not the way it's going to be, right? But as long as I know that, hey, I'm going to come at this with the most respect, uh, professionality, if that's even a word, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just do my best to be there for that person. Um, that's that's the key for that moment. But you're right. When you step back and you can do two things, you can just let it go right off the bat. Don't even think about it. That was a call. It didn't even happen in your mind if you want to. Or you sit there and you really think about that call and you gestate on it and you do a lot of introspection. And in the beginning, I was the just let it go. It didn't happen kind of thing like that. It was a call. We're done. Coming like that. Um, but I find that that doesn't help you in the long run. That's where I found that I was having getting more issues and that like I wasn't actually letting it go. That's uh, kind of where I started learning about introspection and thinking about this kind of stuff. And you you were just pushing it, pushing it down, bottling up, thinking that you were yeah, not basically owning it right. It's 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 set up like that. You think you've let it go. It's just a call. If we're on to the next one, because you experience so many calls in a day. Like I won't lie. Like you'll go to. It's not uncommon for a first responder to go to a call, extremely difficult. Finish it up, immediately hand off care right to the emergency or wherever you've taken or whatever you've done for that patient and then clean your unit and then go to the next call that could possibly be the next worst call of your life so and then are, do it again is, th is there a high turnover doing what you do so the the statistic i was given in school and I actually kind of looked into it again here recently because I was asked to be on the podcast and I was like, I want to revisit this statistic. It was a, in North America for paramedics, five to 10 years. That's our lifespan. That was the lifespan. That wow. was the lifespan of a paramedic is five to 10 years. And it's still kind of sticking in there. Um, that's not to say that you can't have a long and wonderful career as a paramedic. I know many paramedics that have done it 30 35 years, they've been in it since paramedics were first, like the profession was a profession in Alberta, right? So these are the legends. I, I mean, these you, are the guys, like when we're given our uh, paramedic number, coming kind of like that, the guy that has number one, right? <laughs> I see that guy every day still. Yeah. <laughs> Great guy, right? Yeah. You ever talk to him and, and, and find out where you know they get their strength from? How long have you been an EMT, by the way? So, uh, I'll correct you. It's paramedic or ACP. Okay. But I want you to correct me every time I say that. <laughs> no okay. Problem. It's okay. All right. Thank uh, you. Um, so I've been doing it since 2006. So about 15 years now. So you're past the average lifespan. Yes. Yeah. And uh, is it something that you see yourself doing for the rest of your days? I, as long as my back and my mind will make me. Okay. Right. Um, for, I've, I've talked to, uh, other paramedics that have been doing it in the 30 plus year range coming kind of like that. And they all kind of have the same, um, adager. They all kind of have given me the same bit of advice and it's work is work. It is, even though it's a passion and you're here to help, it's still work. And then there's life outside of this and it's okay to separate the two. It's tough though. How do you separate it? Uh, like, I mean, I, I have no work friends. 
<laughs> like, I mean, I, you, you, let's say I want to be a 100-yard dasher, right? I mean, I can read all of the books in the world, and I can figure out the anatomy and what I need. To, that's not going to make me break any world records. Mm-hmm. So so how how do you do it? We know what we have to do, but how do you separate it f- for you? Obviously, yeah. because what works for you won't work for you, Damien, won't work for you, Rick, not necessarily, maybe it will. So what do you do? Yeah. Um, so my, uh, my mentor, one of my mentors, uh, he was one of my preceptors, uh, one of my very first preceptors out in Brooks. Uh, I'll leave his name out of it for right now, but, uh, he gave me sage advice that I've always taken it. And it was the work is work at home is at home. And he's, and basically it was, you don't have to be friends with anybody here. You can have a perf- perfectly fine work relationship with someone and, you know, have great conversations, know about each other, right? And then go home and not have to think about them. So leave your baggage at the door, if you will. Yeah. And uh, he he lived it verbatim to the T. Like I was, I was, I ended up being his partner for a while and uh, we were great work friends. It was amazing relationship, but I didn't hear or see or know anything outside of work from him. Right. And that's what kept your relationship strong. It was fine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I kind of, I rolled with that. That's my kind of adager. It's not as extreme as that, but it's kind of the way I went with it. So. And something, I just, again, expand upon about something you said before we started taping here, Stephen was, you know, what they taught you in school was completely different than, or not completely different, but there was differences in the, the mental health aspect. Uh, but it, you had to experience some things to realize that, you know, there was more to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think what really taught, what really caught my ear was, you know, the OCJ kind of uh, mantras we're sharing our experience. Right. So it's, we have to experience these things. You know, I can't read it in a textbook and say, well, yep. Yeah. I'm depressed. Yep. I'm sad. Yep. I drink too much. Yep. I'm, you know, whatever that yeah, looks like de- yeah, for us. Cause it doesn't work that way in the real world. Right, because right. I'm the last one to become aware that my mental health is starting to wane because like you said, I, I'm living it. You know, yeah. my mood is my mood. I live with it every day. It's the, I have to experience some things. And all of a sudden, like you said, that anger, that lashing out piece. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I need to do different. Um, and it sounds like you did different, you know, you, that introspection piece, reaching out for therapy, uh, doing that. Is that common? Like, is that something that within your profession is available to Yes, everybody? Yeah, we have, um, we have groups and we have um, organizations and we have people available to us for these things. We have um, critical stress debriefing management kind of si- si- situations um, for if we have an incident where it's one of those tough calls and you're not coping well coming like that um all organizations kind of have it police have it fire have it they have them to their their degrees so um we have resources available to us right whether you ask for those resources is kind of a thing um we do have people looking out right uh i like to look out for people that i work with and see and recognize in people when i can see when they're not having a a good time or an easy time and lend an ear, lend some advice, lend whatever they want at that time. Um, and then make others aware of it too, right? Like our supervisors and stuff like that. Sometimes someone higher up needs to pay attention to, 
to be able to maybe catch something. Do you have a unique perspective on it because you've kind of dealt with it? Yeah. um, Where where you're seeing yourself in. Yeah. uh, You you see it every day coming like that. New people come in and it's, like I said, everybody's different, but you do recognize signs. You do see these things, right? There are patterns that you see in people, right? Um, whether it's just their mood and they just normal person that would be, Hey, how's it going? What's up? Right. When they walk in the door and now they're just coming in the door and they're just straight at their ambulance and they're just checking their ambulance and you can't get a word out of them. Right. Or whether it's, uh, on calls or something like that, your partner and you're talking and you notice your partner's not engaged with the patient possibly. Right. Or something like that. I'm not saying it happens all the time, but you might catch this kind of stuff. And these are things that I've noticed in myself too. Like I've noticed maybe once in a while, I haven't been engaged enough and it's middle of the call. Wow. I'm not engaged. Okay. Recheck. Let's go. Right. So, um, yeah, it's things you catch and you, you want to, you want to point it out as hard as it and awkward as it can be to do so, but it's from a good place, right? You want everybody to have the availability to know that, Maybe something's not right with you, right? You might not know it yet, but I noticed something, right? And if I'm out to lunch, that's okay. You can tell me to go fuck myself. That's all right. You're going to give call. You're going to give called out on it. Yeah, that's fine. As that's you, okay. As we all should. I think we all need to be called out sometimes. Yeah. In society, there's this stigma, and I think this is a, a big reason of why OCJ got together. Is that so? We have this ability to share our stories and get our darkness out into the light. And so there was a stigma behind mental health, and there still is. Is that this is something that we don't talk about in your world, in your industry? Does that stigma? exist yep it does yeah you know because mental health is such a huge part of what you do just Mm -hmm. not for those that you care for but for yourself as well and for all of your peers yeah which and to me that's like that's crazy because not crazy but it's just it the people that are in the medical field have chosen to help people right and then you think that that would be the brave space the safe space where it's like i'm here to help people these people I can talk to about what's going on with me, but it's no different than all other demographics of society where it's like, no, I'll deal with my shit. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that I'm hurting or that I got this going on because I don't want to be rejected from Mm -hmm. my partner or whoever. Right. You know, or you think that you have your shit together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a big part of it as well. Um, so PTSD that, that was a part of, of, you know, what you're dealing with yep. concerning your mental My health, journey. your journey. Yeah. Uh, did you have other side effects? Was was booze? Was 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 drugs? Did you find yourself developing bad habits because of your mental health? Um, I kind of went all over the spectrum. So prior to my wife, uh, party animal. Sure. Yeah. Uh, booze. These guys can lifestyle. Relate. Yeah, right? we can, yeah, Disco. we can all relate. It doesn't matter. Like I'm going out to have a fun time just to get away from everything, right? Um, And I met my wife, and she's everything that Damien said more. Uh, And she kind of solidified something in me that I I need to be a better person. Kind of like that. There's someone that you meet and makes you want to be a better person, kind of like that. So that was my first kind of change, my first like self-check. Okay, maybe my ways aren't right. Maybe what I'm doing isn't good. Kind of like that. And uh, from there, it kind of got better. I stopped drinking, really. Um, I mean, it 
really, if I have a drink a week, that's beyond believable these days, right? But, right. And that's that was eight years ago, right? And then uh, from there, uh, you kind of fall back into your own habits. But to me, it wasn't drinking. It was kind of, uh, I fell into patterns and routines to stay normal, like almost obsessively. Uh, and like, I think I mentioned like fitness enthusiast, right? So something that I can control all the time, right? I can well, control my body. I control you, my food. I control everything I take into my body. I control my wake up, my pattern. I have to run at this time. I have to work out at this time. I have to eat at this time. I have to be here at this time. Well, like that. And, and you know, I could tell when I walked in that you look after yourself. I, I mean, thank you. No, you, you do. And I bet it has a, a lot to do with keeping your, well, at first it starts off as like, well, you have to be physically healthy along with to be mental healthy, right? Physical health does play a factor into mental health, yes. right? Um, so you learned about that. It's like, yeah, maybe physical health is what I need. But then when you rely solely on physical health for a coping mechanism, that's in itself is an addiction. That in itself is, it's, it's not healthy, right? Especially when you're going to extremes, right? So... so so physical participation, uh, I got that from, hang on. Uh, Hal Johnson. Thank and you. Yes. Hal and Joanne. <laughs> yeah. Body break. Yeah. Body, body break. break. Those <laughs> Canadian <laughs> vignettes. Yes. So you do that to keep yourself sane and you separate your personal life from your work life. That's what works for you. Damien, Rick, what works for you guys? Because as we're all individuals, what's going to work for Steven isn't going to work necessarily for you or for you or for me. For me, it was uh, community and purpose, I think, is, is uh, where I find a lot of that relief. Um, I have a very busy mind. Everybody that knows me will attest to that. I don't really shut off. Are you okay today, by the way? Just busy. I'm tired. I've been working ridiculous hours, but... Just tired. Okay. Um, yeah, it is community and purpose, I think, is kind of where I found my relief. Um, I need to focus my mental energy somewhere. And if, if I don't, it gets toxic really quick in my head. Um, it, I'm going to think about something. It better be something constructive hmm. is, yeah. is, is basically kind of what I've found. And the fact the that you can recognize works. that, that's, that's huge too. So that's how you cope. You, you want to give back to the kid. That's what helps you feel better about you. Yeah. hundred percent is, uh, I, I need, I need to direct, I need to direct my thoughts in a constructive manner in a positive direction or else it will, it will inevitably turn inward and destructive. Idle and that, hands. Yeah. yeah. Idle hands. And that takes effort, I bet, too. I bet it's something it's, it's that's got to be top of mind. conscious, yeah. yeah. If I'm not, if I'm bored, I need to find something to do because it'll, I am almost immediately start overthinking myself and like, am I not doing enough? Am I doing the right things, but for the wrong motives? And then it just, it, it's a spiral that turns into, I'm a piece of shit. You're overanalyzing really and next quick. thing you know, everything in the world is your fault. Yeah. Yeah. I need, to, I need to remain outwardly focused. And, and see what, what I hear too is something that I, I've struggled with is how do I get quiet? Because when I get quiet and attempt to get quiet, this turns on and, and I hear a lot of myself and you know what Steven and Rick were saying, like 
I, life was about action, the guts, the glory, the, all that stuff. And it was like that. It was amazing at the beginning when I was a younger man, but for me, life is really, it slows down. You know, you, for me and Rick, you get sober for Steven. He finds, you know, Shay, they get married. Life kind of slows down. But my mind, you know, my addict mind wants to be busy and I can just get busy doing stuff and staying busy to keep this from coming on. But sometimes I need to learn just to get quiet because when I get quiet, that's when I get that introspection piece where it's like, all right, there's more to me than I let the world see. And I think it's through my experience, through your experience as an EMT, that you get to be that leader of self. Paramedic. Or, sorry, paramedic. <laughs> AC, okay, ACT, AC, okay. ACP, ACP. Okay, so <laughs> let's, let's, let's take a break. Let's pause. Let's get to the bottom of this. What is the difference between ACP and EMT? Okay. Uh, so we're going to go old school on this. Originally in Alberta, what we had were EMRs, emergency medical responders. Okay. Right? They're the lowest level of first responder okay. that's available. EMTs, which is an emergency medical technologist, yeah, uh, which is the intermediate level. All right, uh, they can start working on ambulances. Okay, and then there was paramedics, and that's what that was. Recently, there's been a change. It's EMR PCP, so a primary care paramedic, which is the old EMT mm, sure. PCP, <laughs> yeah. and then there's the ACP, advanced care paramedic, which is the old paramedic, which is what I am. Okay, so that would be the equivalent of the WWE as opposed to the old rodeo wrestling yeah, league. Yeah. All right. So you can call us, basically you can call us all paramedics. It's it's transferable. It's fine. Okay. Uh, EMT is the old adage. Okay. All right. There we <laughs> so, are. <laughs> where was I? <laughs> we were, we were talking. All I heard was PCP. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I think what I was attempting to get to is that it's that, shared experience that life experience that allows us to be that influential person in our sphere of influence whether it's with the other paramedics you know at the firehouse <laughs> fighting <words. laughs> yeah. or if it's just you know in my role as a community leader just being that open honest vulnerable me saying fuck i went through some stuff i can see that not even see it in you. I just see it in it myself. Here's my story. Right. And I think that's where the value piece comes is, you know, now I can get quiet today. I can not have to be extremely busy and just be. And that's what does it for you. And how interesting is that we all approach mental health in, in different means. And again, I think that screams volumes is that you have to find something that works for you. Rick, you say you need to stay busy. Damien, you say you have to get that time just to breathe and not necessarily think. And then, and Stephen, it's you know, it's a big part of it for you. Is is it's me time? It's it, focus. It's on you me, time. Right? Yeah. So it, I think we need to find something that works for us as you know individuals. But I think there's balance. There's you know, I got to take yes, care of my emotional yes, sobriety, yeah. my physical yeah. health and wellness. I got to take yeah. care of you know. I can only wish that I get free paychecks, but I got to get out yeah. there and take action to financially take it. There's a balance piece. And if I'm out of balance and, you know, the peace of mind square, so to speak, then, mm -hmm. then I'm fucked. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there is such thing as too much of good in my opinion. Um, chocolate I cake, guess, man. Chocolate cake. Right. Once like in I a said, while it's good, but yeah. too much. Like Next I was saying, thing, you know? like my, I took my fitness to the extreme and an unhealthy extreme kind of thing like that. Um, and, since then, learn to dial it back and be more. What do you mean, unhealthy physical fitness? Um, you ever heard of death race? 
like the, the race grand, race yeah. death race and grand cash yeah, yeah yeah there's a guy here in town chris humphreys oh can i say that can we say his name he'll he'll appreciate it but he lives for it that's that's his release yeah. there's more than one person that does that i've done that right have you yeah why yeah um yeah, at the time, it was this physical limit that I needed to push my body to that extreme. I needed to get to that, right? And it was one of those things where it's like, I'm not good enough unless I do that. I'm not going to be okay unless I do that. And that's kind of that unhealthy factor. There's people where it's a hobby, and they'll go run 120 kilometers for a hobby, and they can separate it, and it's just fun. Those people exist. Those people rock, right? Yeah, yeah. Good for them, right? But then there's those people that I think you kind of touched on, and I hope I can bring this up, but you were talking about your son yep. and uh, you kind of had some competitive going on there. They're running with him the other day, kind of think that. And there's yeah. that, he wanted to beat you kind of a thing like that. Um, there is that unhealthy competitiveness, right? We were, we were just kind of discussing that, where it's that it consumes you, right? Being consumed by something can be good, but if it consumes you to the point where it's going to damn you. Is it healthy for you? Right? Yeah. That, and that's where I kind of took my health, to, to be honest, right? I was grossly underweight. I'm 6'5", and I weighed 140 pounds when I was running, right? And I justified it by the fact that it matters. Like, I'm thinner and more aerodynamic, obviously. And it's a lot easier on my joints, and I, I feel like I can run faster, right? Yeah. Running now at, you know, a healthy weight, just over 200 pounds at my height, like, I feel it in my joints. I can't, I can't run death race now. God, I... Do you want do do you want to? Does that still interest you? Oh, I like to run, but it's 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 past tense. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but it just yeah, it's so to kind of come back to it, it's like there are unhealthy good things. And I also had to recognize that in kind of my journey and finding my balance in my mental health. So too much of a good thing. Likewise, with your with your busy mind, Rick. I mean, it's kind of the opposite. You need to stay busy in order to keep sane. Do you find there's too much of a good thing in that respect in terms of how you cope? I, I think first and foremost, I'm an addict. It doesn't matter what it is. There isn't enough of it. I want more. Huh. Okay. It's, it's, it doesn't matter if it's fitness, if it's cooking, if it's business, if it's... Hmm. It doesn't matter. I'm, I have an unquenchable thirst for more of whatever is in front of me. So it is, it takes a very conscious effort for me to even, I multitask a lot. So I don't get so focused on one thing that everything else stops. So I, I do, I think that, you know, that's part of my, my routine to cope with my, my mind the way it is is have six things going on at the same time. So I don't get so focused on one thing that I, I'm sure, you know, and I've, I've received diagnoses for the way I think. And it's, um, it's, it's just what I found to be my best coping mechanism is to multitask. So I don't get so laser focused on something that it really becomes an obsessive pursuit. And you said something very interesting. There is a huge correlation between addiction and obsessiveness, isn't there? 
I, I'm an addict, man. You give me, you give me something and it doesn't matter what it is I want. Well, hell, more. you and you were talking, you and I were talking about our vinyl collections and I introduced you to this app called the Discog yeah. app. And what it does is that you can catalog all of your albums. And I've used the app for about four years and I've cataloged maybe about a quarter of my collection. Not because I have a lot, just because, eh, you were done in 21 hours. Yeah. And I have a... <laughs> Fairly extensive vinyl collection. Yeah, 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 and it's a great app, by the way. Do you like it? <laughs> yeah, love it. Love Shameless it. plug awesome. for Discogs app. Yeah. No, we're not getting paid for anything. Yes, yeah, that's exactly it, right? It's like I'll get that thought in my head. I'm like, okay, and I will, I will go 21 hours straight at logging my vinyl collection until it's done. Stephen, where's your mental health at these days? Uh it's waveform. Down depends on the day, depends on what's going on, right? How is it today? Uh, today, I would say it's like on a scale of like three to 16. Three to 16, yeah. uh, poncho scale, <laughs> nice three to 16. It's I would slot, have to put it like scale 7.95. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I like it. I like the two decimal places uh, as well. Yeah. 7.95, and I'm sure that's yeah. rounded. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right, so that's uh, three uh, so about a C plus. So, what are the factors that like that cause that? Is it coming off a night shift, having a hard night? Yeah, you know what? So, um I mean, I don't know if you guys have discussed this in depth before or anything like that, but in school, kind of thing like that. And I found this one be fairly true. The big factors that uh, play into someone's stress level is sleep, right? Uh, physical activity and nutrition. We kind of touched on nutrition a little bit early. I've talked about physical activity and stuff like that. Um, sleep, I find, is my biggest factor. Um, I was talking with kind of Damien because uh, we just got off night shift this morning and just before we were, uh, all got together here and uh, I'm tired. Like I worked all night, not a wink of sleep. I'm here, kind of thing like that. So I, I wanted to get some sleep, but some you know circumstances at home with uh, a 22 month old daughter that uh, decided to strip all her clothes off and pee in the bed in the middle of the night and help with that. And I decided to stay up, and just come here, right? So sleep, <laughs> sleep's a major factor for me. Uh, Do you have problems with sleep normally? I used to be an insane insomniac. Like I would go to the th- the three, four day mark with no sleep. Help me out here because for decades, I'm, I'm getting two, three hours of sleep a day. Mm. I mean, really, I'm only 19. I look 80. I, it's, not, <laughs> it's not the case. So do you think that was part of the career choice? Like the, anything that you've seen or you're dealing with that caused you to? Uh, so it's one is it's shift work coming kind of like that. Uh, work nights. Uh, when I, it kind of started when I was uh, so a casual with uh with my work, I, uh, would only come in when they call me basically. But back in the day, they would call you all the time. It was making money and, uh, night shifts were always the big one. So I would work four or five night shifts in a row, get one off, work a couple day shifts, get one off, work another four or five night shifts, coming like that. And so sleep wasn't a regular pattern. And so I just kind of got into this habit of like not having a rhythm to fall asleep. And that rhythm kind of fell with me and I'd find in times of stress, I'd go back into that rhythm of just not sleeping kind of thing like that. Um, and again, there's the big three here, food, sleep, and you know, some kind of physical participation as simple as it sounds. Those are three monster components. Mm-hmm. I think anyway, of, of positive mental health. You've incorporated that obviously since being diagnosed with PTSD, uh, Rick Damien, I, I know, that's become 
important in your lives as well. So would you agree with Stephen then that that's a big contributing factor to positive mental health, eating properly, getting some kind of exercise? Yeah, those are definitely three pillars that are part of it. I think for Rick and I, there's, you know, a huge service piece. There's a huge responsibility piece. You know, there had to be a certain point where I was like, well, fuck, if I'm going to get some sleep or this is going to change, I have to do something different, right? I can't just, you know, keep doing what I'm doing and hope that it gets better. And was sleep a problem for you before? Uh, Have you ever done cocaine? (laughs) So, yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. I think we look at us all nodding our heads. I am. I'm not nodding. (laughs) not nodding his head. Yeah, I also tapped out in about four days, too. (laughs) Yeah, but... No, I just had a problem with life. Like I, there was so much going on that I didn't, nobody told me how to live life as a, as a man on this planet. I had to go through some stuff to, to figure it out. Thank God, you know, I was able to figure it out before my mental health or my addiction took my life. You know, um, I chose a career where I'm not seeing the kind of things that Steven's seeing or dealing with on a daily basis. I'm dealing with rig crews and guys that are, you know, living the same lifestyle as me. And it wasn't encouraged to talk about what's going on. Your vulnerability was fucking weakness. You did not show that you were vulnerable because you would get mm. eaten up and spit out. Um, and I thought that was unique to the industry I was in, you know, but then sitting here today talking with Steve and it's like, man, that sounds like the same thing goes on in the first responders industry, right? It's, yeah. It's a very commonality. Yeah. Rick, how do you sleep as somebody that needs to constantly be thinking about something? How do you shut your mind off at night? Because again, is sleep incredibly important to positive thinking and mental well-being? Uh, my sleep cycle has gotten tremendously better um, over the last five years, I guess, kind of huh. a little bit of correlation with sobriety. Okay. Um Primarily though, I, I don't get a lot of sleep. I'm, I'm like high functioning. I, uh, I, I fall asleep really well. I fall asleep quickly. That never used to be the case for me, but I, I do now. Um, when, when my brain knows it's bedtime, I'm like, my head hits a pillow. You can count to 10 and I'm snoring. I'm out. Yeah. Um, the factor for me is if I get disturbed one hour later, I might as well go to work. Cause uh, once I'm back up, I'm up. Like That's it. I, there's a ton of, I don't even probably once a week I'm in work by 4am because I might as well be there. Something's woke me up in the night and now I'm making a list of things in my head that I need to do tomorrow. And I'm writing emails and I'm, I'm in that mode and I'm, I'm just repeating this stuff to myself in my head. So I don't forget about it in the morning. Yeah, well, so I'll, I might as well just go do it. Yeah, like I'll get texts from you at, at three thirty in the morning or eight o'clock at night. I'm like, what the fuck? When does he sleep? Yeah, usually from you can bank on I'm asleep from like eleven till one thirty two, one thirty to two. That's it, huh? And then it's a crapshoot outside of that. So, do you have just a question about sleep? With that, um, if you were to sleep longer, say you got that eight hours, how do you feel after that? Tired. Yeah. 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 I don't know why, but I mean, like I'm, I run better on three hours, four hours than I do on eight or 10. It does come to a head. Like every couple weeks I'll like, mm-hmm. I'll be out for, I'll pass out at eight o'clock at night and get up at 10 in the morning the next day. You're, you, so you've probably been sleeping that way for decades. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I, you know, I came through the patch where, 
you know, we didn't sleep, you know, you, you, the, the oil field hours mixed with the pile of cocaine. You, there's not a lot of sleeping for a while there. Right. Um, and my body recognized back then, even, you know, um, if I have the opportunity, fall asleep and get some sleep. Right. Cause I remember falling asleep in a pickup truck outside the rig. Cause I knew I had an hour to kill. Right. And it was like, Oh, better get some sleep. So my body still is kind of predispositioned to be able to pass out, but staying asleep, different story. Once, once I'm awake, my brain fires back up and it goes straight to busy, not I don't ease my way into it. So I might as well get up. I think some people would be envious. The fact that you can fall asleep anywhere, even if it's not for super long. Oh, my wife makes, I have, I have notorious couch naps where it's like, okay, I'm going to fall asleep for 15 minutes. And she's like, really? And by the time she's even looked at me, I'm out. And then like 15 minutes later, I'm up and back at her. Three months. My dentist had to wake me up. I fell asleep in the dentist chair. If you can believe it for (laughs) God's sakes. Uh, Well, I think, I think like the commonality and the thread between, you know, what we're talking about here is, our brains turn on and they're experiencing the things that we went through or, you know, we're making up these, I got to send this email. I got to do this. I got to do this. Most of my problems exist up here, right? A lot of mine are made up, you know, but like for Steven or first responders, a lot of the ones that they, it's things that they've actually dealt with or seen or, you know, things that could possibly be weighing on them, which causes, you know, their mental health to, you know, over a period of time become something that they have to deal with. Right. Um, and I think that's what, you know, yeah. <laughs> being here today is to, just to, to give kind of just a little, maybe a little bit of a lighter face on it. Like, Hey, listen, there's, there's people out there that are dealing with this. You're not alone. I think what you said, Stephen, when you're, you know, you're looking for signs in other people, but at the end of the day, it comes down to me. What's mm-hmm. going on inside here? Why does this have to turn on and be completely busy all the time? Why, do I have to take my fitness to an extreme? Why do Rick and I have to do drugs and alcohol to cope with the trauma, the pain that we've dealt with, right? Um, we're breaking that stigma. That's what you brought up, Poncho, you know, a couple of minutes ago is that stigma. And it sounds like it's in, in your industry too. It's, it's everywhere. Like it's, it's, it's a stigma. Everybody's got to have this strong face. It doesn't matter sex, race, anything like that. It doesn't Every, discriminate. No. Everybody has this, I have to be strong adage, whether it's like, for example, my wife, we, we have a basically close to newborn child at home, right? Whether she's got to put on the strong face for when I come home after work, because she knows that I've had probably one of the roughest days I've had in a long time, and she's had a rough day. So her scale is already tilt, but she knows she's going to put on that strong face. When in reality, like, we got to experience these things together. I'm not just, I don't want to just be that husband that, comes home is, and takes, right? I want to be able to have her be able to relax too and, and be and, able to do that kind and, of stuff, And you have right? to take turns. I mean, exactly. right? It, it all depends, as you said, on, on the days that you have. Knowing the industry that you work in and and what Rick does and what Damien does and, and what I do, there's another common denominator here and we can pull inspiration from this. We can pull power from this. Is, is that mental health affects everybody, everybody, regardless of what it is that you do for a living. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about, Stephen, that we haven't touched on? Oh. Did you have any questions for Damien or Rick or Rick Damien? Do you have questions for, for Stephen? Yeah, I'm open to any questions, honestly. I guess like the, the toll that it takes, like being 
in Medicine Hat, being in the community during this pandemic and kind of what's happened with all this loss, how, how are the first responders or yourself and your team kind of dealing with everything that's, that's gone on over the past year? Um, I would say it is kind of like you would expect everybody else to be, honestly. Um, we all have our ups, we all have our downs. We're all dealing with, uh, this pandemic one day at a time. Right. Um, and especially in healthcare, I mean, we're healthcare. We believe in healthcare. We believe in medicine. We believe in the science kind of stuff like that. But at the same time, we don't all carry that to the same level kind of like that. And that's just the way people are. We're not going to carry the same cross, right? Uh, I'm hypervigilant, right? I sent you a large questionnaire about how you guys have been feeling, if you've been ill or anything like that, just because that's who I am, right? Anybody I come in contact with, hey, you got a cough, fever, aches, pains, chills, nausea, vomit, diarrhea, you have been outside of Medicine Hat in the past 48 hours, have you talked to anybody with these kind of things like that? I could rattle it off the top of my head in my sleep. And he is, and he is. It's not like he's looking at <laughs> right. bullet point forms right now. Right? Um, and that's just something that comes to me, right? I this has affected me to the point where I know it's a different form of, uh, it's an, an additional kind of blow onto my PTSD, right? Someone coughs around me. I'm eyeballing them and I'm willing to ask them, how long you been coughing for? Is that a new cough for you? Coming like that. You got a sore throat, runny nose, anything like that. Is this, have you been around anybody that's been like that? I'm, I'm on people for that. Right. When normally back, back in the day before a pandemic, someone would be coughed, be like, Oh man, whatever. Yeah. Right. But now I'm on people to the point where it's like, it's probably pissing them off. Right. Um, so that's me. I'm, I've take things a little more, uh, to the ex extreme, uh, extreme is not the right word. <laughs> I, the vigilance, I like to call it. I'm way more vigilant about this kind of stuff where other people, they, they follow it right in my career or in pathway and they, they follow it. They follow the rules. They do the right thing, kind of thing like that. But they're not the person that's wiping down the door handle every, you know, twenty minutes, yeah. right? So, um, so it's it's like I said, it's it's the same thing everywhere else, right? It affects people differently. Um, on the most part, we're all in this together. We all have to share the same commonality of how we feel about it, and uh, we approach it all together in the same way, kind of like that. You know, because we all deal with different issues when it comes to mental health. And I think what we've learned here today is that also as individuals, we all have our different means of coping, of managing, of getting better concerning mental health as well. Mm -hmm. Anything else that Rick, Damien, that you guys wanted to add? No, just thanks, right? I mean, you're... Any opportunity I get to say thanks to a first responder, I try to. I mean, it's uh, in my line of work. I, when we don't know how to deal with what we're dealing with, we phone you, right? And it's, uh, I'm glad that there's somebody there to come in and deal with it. I, yeah, I couldn't do what you do. I mean, really selfless, courageous, fearless, driven. I mean, these are qualities that you need to have when you're working as a, hang on, ACP. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> the firehouse. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's touch on that. You sure. named a lot of great aspects and quality that you see in us, right? Yeah. That's a stigma right there on us. Sure it is. You expect us to stand up to that level, right? And we do have those aspects, right? But 
to uh, like be solely known by that aspect, right? Is it's something to live up to. I'm it's happy, hard. I'm happy you picked up on that. Thank right? you. Yeah. Um, so we're people. We're people just like everybody else. We've chosen this career, first responding, whether it's fire, whether it's EMS, whether it's police. We've chosen this career because in the end, we want to provide service and help to people, right? That's all of these jobs encompass is helping people. Um, And we do it to any capacity that we can. Um, We get affected just like everybody else. Um, And to possibly a more extreme extent, right? Some of us have been, I mean, I'm not numb to the fact, but I've been doing it long, a long time. Yeah. Uh, And for me, I can handle, and I know I can personally handle a lot. I can handle a lot of responsibility. I can handle a lot of uh, people's uh, issues. I can handle those those horrible calls fairly well. But I also know that I have to self-check regularly. I want to thank you for, for sharing your story. I, I want to thank you for allowing us to sneak a peek of what it is that you do and what everybody does uh, in your industry. And again, a huge reminder that at the end of the day, I mean, you have to struggle and deal with the same issues that, that everybody else does, you know? So, so thank you for being a part of our OCJ podcast. Uh, Damien, Rick, final thoughts. Yeah. Again, thank you. You know, thank you for your, openness your honesty your vulnerability and and for just uh yeah falling into mine and julie and the boys' lives um yeah we truly do love you and your wife and and welcome to the ocj family thank you so much honestly we're happy to be part of your your family man it's it's amazing to see you guys grow over these years and see your family in picture form for my wife it's it's amazing it is it's cool it is it's friendship and i think that's at the end of the day i think what OCJ is, is it's about just being there for your neighbor, being there for the people that are in your lives and just being there on that, uh, that more authentic scale. Um, not telling you what you're doing, good, bad, right, wrong, just being with. So yeah. Thank you, Stephen, for being here today. Just being. Yeah. Yeah. Damien, great to see you again. Loving the new do Rick, as always, I'm envious when I see you, uh, rocking different kinds of plaid that I don't have. So I know what I'll be doing a little bit later today. And Stephen, man, you just finished a, a night shift, a graveyard shift coming in here to get deep, get heavy, to share a part of your personal life, to discuss mental health. Thank you for your time. Thank you guys. It was uh, great coming in here and being able to discuss this stuff. The end. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Contact Our Collective Journey on Facebook at Our Collective Journey or on the web at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Hosted by Poncho Parker. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Check out this and our other great podcasts at pymedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.